Good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. We're in a sermon series on our identity in Christ. So we're studying the truths of who we are in Christ as Christians. These truths are important for us to understand and to remember to rehearse in our lives as we follow Christ. So I want to read uh, beginning in Romans eight twelve down through uh, verse 23, but our main text today is really going to be verses 14 through 17, but this will at least just give us a little bit of the surrounding context. Romans eight twelve. I would ask if you're able to please stand once again in honor of God's word. And follow along as I begin reading in verse 12 then. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We, we need you now. We need the Spirit now to come and Open our eyes and be our teacher. We ask that um, you would do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Again, we're on, in a sermon series on our identity in Christ. And as I thought about a person's identity, I was thinking how historically, how much of our identity has been wrapped up in what family we come from, right? What, and maybe that's not as much today, but it certainly has been in recent generations, right? Your identity was wrapped up in what your family name was. What class were they in society? Did your family have money? Did your family have a good reputation? Did they have a noble heritage? Much of people's identity were wrapped up in what family they belong to. Well, as Christians, one of the most encouraging truths about our identity is that we belong to the family of God. 
Last week we covered the doctrine of justification. And if you remember, that's, the, that's a judicial act of God, our, the final judge, where he declares us righteous by forgiving us all of our sin. Remember, it, our sin was charged to Christ. He paid the penalty. And then he also credits Christ's perfect life, his Christ's perfect righteousness to our account. And so thereby, God is just to justify us, to declare us righteous in his sight. And that is amazing grace. That was a joy to, to think about last week with you. But then the, we continue to just revel in God's grace. We continue to revel in this news of, of God's love and mercy to us because what flows right out of justification is our adoption. Uh, justification clears the way for our being adopted into God's family. Justification gave us the new legal status we needed, and now adoption gives us a new family that we need. Justification secured our legal relationship with God, and now adoption handles our familial relationship with God. And so the truth I want you to just be reminded of today and to take away from today is by God's grace, through the finished work of Christ, every believer is part of God's family as an adopted child of God, or we could say the way Scripture does, an adopted son of God. And we'll talk about why, that, why it words it that way. That's the truth that we see celebrated here in this passage in Romans 8, especially beginning in verse 14. Now the overall theme of Romans 8 is the assurance of our salvation. And one basis for that assurance is this new relationship with God that the gospel has brought about. Again, everyone God saves, he adopts into his family. Everyone God saves becomes a beloved child of God. And as we say that, it's important to realize that we don't start off life that way. We don't start off life in God's family. By nature, we are not a child of God. And, and I wanted to start there today because I know that there's a huge misconception in this world, right? You'll hear the world spout off things like, oh, we're, we're all God's children, right? Because they, they, they're basing that on the fact that, well, God has created us and so we must all be God's children by nature. But the Bible says that's not true. Yes, God has created us all. He's the one who has, gives our life and, and, and sustains our life, but we are not by nature children of God. Because of sin, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, especially verses 2 and 3, that those who don't believe in Christ are called sons of disobedience. They're called, in verse 3, children of wrath. Matter of fact, it says that uh, by nature, without Christ, we're actually following the prince of the power of this air, who is Satan. And so we don't realize it, but without Christ, we are actually members of Satan's family. And like the Jews that we saw in our scripture reading in John 8, without Christ, we actually have the devil as our father, as we are unknowingly doing his bidding as we live in opposition to Christ. And so we don't start off life as a child of God. It's only through Jesus that we're brought into God's family and made one of his children. A verse you might want to jot down is John 1.12. 
It says, but to all who did receive him, talking about Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you see, we become a child of God when, we, when God saves us through faith in Christ. And everyone whom God saves, he adopts into his family. And that's what this passage in Romans is talking about here. Look at verse 14. That's where we're going to begin. Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So, when God saves us, he indwells us with his Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us new life. The Spirit is is who unites us to Christ. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Christians are now then no longer enslaved to their sin nature, Rather, they live according to the Spirit, or as verse 14 words it, they are led by the Spirit. That's what that's saying. Everyone who's been set free from bondage to sin is a son of God because that's showing that you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has the Spirit, everyone who is saved, is adopted into God's family. So these verses go on to say, we no longer then fear God's wrath. Right? Because as we talked about last week, Christ's sacrifice has satisfied and turned away God's wrath from us. And we no longer fall back into slavery to the law, something that Paul makes a point of in Romans often, doesn't he? And we actually kind of talked about this in, in our Sunday school class as well. We no longer fall back into slavery to the law where we're trying to earn our way uh, to God's favor, where we're trying to uh, do enough things to maintain a good status with God. No, because of the gospel, we, we know that Christ has done it all and his perfect righteousness has been credited to, to our account. We know that we're saved by grace. Nothing we can do to earn it. So that's why it says in verse 15, we've not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Rather, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You see, there's security in being a member of the family of God. Right? Isn't there security in your family? Right? I mean, and again, because we live in a fallen world and we're, we're sinful people, it, the, the illustration doesn't play out perfectly. But, you know, you think about going out into the world and, and maybe you're going off to college for the first time or you're going off to a new job or whatever, and it's, you know, it's kind of scary, it's kind of new, it's kind of, you know, people are mean to you or whatever, right? And, oh, there's security in coming back to your family, a place of refuge, a place of, of safety, Right? Well, there's enormous security in being a, in the family of God and being a blood-bought child of God. God, in his amazing grace, has committed himself to us, has set his love on us, has saved us through Christ. And he himself, by his Spirit, has indwelt us, united us to Christ, and adopted us into the family of God. We have the spirit of adoption we have the Holy Spirit living inside us as Christians. And again, it's, verse 14 says, you're sons of God, right? All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And at the end of verse 15, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Later in verse 16, it'll, it'll use the word child of God. It's talking about being adopted, and it's just using the word son because in their culture, it was only the son who received the inheritance, right? Not the daughters. But everyone who is saved 
um, by grace through faith in Christ receives that inheritance. So in that sense, we are all sons of God. Now in our culture, I think the, the sons and daughters receive the inheritance, right? So it's probably not as necessary for us to, to emphasize that point. We can say child of God and still be thinking about inheritance. But the scripture does often use this phrase, sons of God, because we are co-heirs with Christ. And we'll talk about that later in the sermon. But right now, we just want to, I just want to talk about what the adoption is. Adoption is an act of God's grace, whereby, as I've said, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, think about what adoption is. God transfers us from Satan's family to his family. Right? All those he saves, he transfers from Satan's family to his family. We become children of God, granted full rights and privileges of sonship in God's family. And again, I think in a way this was, is probably easier for us to picture than it even was certainly for the Jews. Now the, the Greeks and Romans, they understood what adoption was. Jews didn't really practice adoption that much. But we, we understand what adoption is. Many families in our church have adopted, right? With kids being adopted, you know, you think about adoption, it's kids being adopted often out of hard places into a new family. And during those court proceedings, the, the, the judge makes it clear that this adopted child now has full rights as a member of his or her, his or her new family. I remember that being made clear in our adoptions. So we, this picture is familiar to us, and when we think about adoption, uh, taking someone out of a hard place and placing them, hopefully, in a better family, right? Think about what God has done for us. Talk about hard places. What was our story, right? By nature, we belong to Satan's household. What, what kind of life was that? Satan did not care for us. But he led us down paths of destruction. He had us in bondage to our sinful lusts and our sinful passions. He directed us to things that actually harmed us and further led us into misery and slavery. But God has graciously rescued us from Satan's household through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. God gives us the new birth and he unites us to Christ by faith. And I think about what Jesus said when when he was on earth and, and, and uh, living out his ministry, God has, or Jesus has now bound Satan's household and he's plundering his house by setting the captives free. That's what he's done in saving us and adopting us. Satan's house has been plundered and God has delivered us from that, from that bondage, from that despair, from that domain of darkness and he's placed us in his kingdom of light and his beloved family. A place of safety and security and glory and peace. Think about that, that change. Think about that rescue of being in, in the domain of darkness, being in bondage, being in, in Satan's realm, and now being delivered. Talk about rags to riches, right? <laughs> now we're a child of the king. Now we're no longer in fear. Now we have freedom. 
Now we're no longer a child of wrath, but we're a dearly loved child of God. Now we're no longer a son of disobedience, like Ephesians 2.2 said. But now we're credited with Christ's perfect obedience, and we're given a new heart that actually wants to obey God, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit who empowers and directs our obedience. (laughs) What a change has been brought about by the gospel and by God's grace. Now we're no longer poor and destitute with no hope and no future, or a, a dreadful future, we could say. I was using the language of Ephesians 2. Now we're sons of God. And think about what the glorious future that awaits us as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So again, please take away from today, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are an adopted child of God. You are a beloved child of God. You have Almighty God as your Heavenly Father. That's your identity. (laughs) And for the remainder of our time, I just wanted to work through those few verses with you a little more in depth and consider our adoption under four short headings. They're all one-word headings. The first one is closeness. Closeness, or if you like, you could say intimacy. When God saves us, we are brought into a relationship with God. He is our Father. We are His dearly loved child. Again, this takes the grace that we talked about last week in justification even further. Remember, we tried to paint the picture last week of the judge who has been personally sinned against, and yet in grace he declares us not guilty, perfectly righteous in Christ. And we think of, wow, what amazing grace and kindness that is, right? Well, now think if that judge himself says, not only am I not declaring you guilty as you deserve, I'm declaring you not guilty, but in addition, why don't you come live with me? (laughs) I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to lavish on you all of my resources and riches for your good and for my glory. Wow. That is grace. And that's what God has done for us. We are his dearly loved child. And uh, an outworking of that is this close, intimate relationship that we now have and can have with God as our Heavenly Father. And, And again, this is where it's helpful that we know what adoption is, but we know that human examples break down. Human examples fall short because in human families, children don't always enjoy a good relationship with their father, right? Sadly. But when God adopts you, he intends to establish a close, loving relationship. Look at verse 15 now of Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, right? Fear would sound like kind of a, a, a distant, kind of a icky relationship, Right? No, that's not the spirit we've received. No, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, the closeness, the intimacy of the relationship we are to have with God. I know I've said it several times, but it's amazing truth that we need to grasp. When God saves us, he actually comes and lives inside of us by his spirit. (laughs) And now... One of the ministries of the indwelling Holy Spirit is to help us relate to God as our Father. That's what this verse and the next one will talk about. The Holy Spirit helps us 
live out this adoption in the sense of relating to God as our Father. Though we were once sons of disobedience and children of wrath, the Spirit now helps us relate to God as our good and loving Father. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to change our our slavish fears toward God into a confidence, an assurance, a happy, peaceful affection for God as our Father. So, you know, the Holy Spirit will do that by reminding us of the gospel, reminding us that God loves us, he's forgiven us. He sent his son to die for you. You are precious to him. And then as he does that, the Holy Spirit is awakening our childlike affections for God. You see there in verse 15 where it says, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba was an, is an Aramaic word that, that they, even though the New Testament is written in Greek, they just kept it there in Aramaic. And it, it was a, a term that um, the Jews would use for daddy, right? So you think of a little, a little kid saying, daddy, daddy, right? And running into their father's arms. And so we've all seen that picture and you think about just what a loving picture that is. What a, what a picture of intimacy, of, of security, of closeness, of love, of assurance of love. That is. And the Bible says that's the kind of relationship we now have with God by his grace. And the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to remind us of that relationship. And to help us draw near to God with that kind of with of closeness, with that kind of confidence, with that kind of assurance, because of the finished work of Christ. Of course, in our relationship with God, we always want to maintain reverence and awe, right? But there should also be a closeness and a familiarity whereby we joyfully draw near to God, our Father, just like a small child running into his or her daddy's arms. It's right for us to regard God as our almighty creator and king. But again, for us who are united to Christ by faith, let us never forget God is also our father. And remember how Jesus was so intentional in teaching his disciples this, right? When he's taught them how to pray, he said, Pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And that was revolutionary for them to think that way. Yes, in the Old Testament it would talk about God being the Father kind of in general terms over all of Israel. But, but this personal relationship that I can call out to God, and, and Jesus used that term too, and pray like this, Abba, Father. Wow, that's love. That's grace, that's security, that's closeness. So just know in your identity, and again, this is all because of Christ and because of God's grace, God loves you. He will protect you. He will provide for you. Again, I'm thinking about all the teachings of Jesus that talk about, uh, don't be anxious, right? Your Father knows what you need. He will care for you. He will... He's your loving Heavenly Father. He's going to teach you. He's going to discipline you. But even that is in love. So that you may um, hate sin. So that you may recognize the dangers of sin. So that you may run to the Father where there is joy and security. God is not bothered by us. 
He loves us. He loves to have us draw near to him and spend time with him. And these are all truths that we have to remind ourselves of, especially because we continue to stumble and fall in our sin. So we have confidence running to our Father because we know he loves us, which that leads right to our next heading. I've already kind of uh, dabbled in it. (laughs) Our next heading is assurance, right? We've seen in verse 15 the closeness, the intimacy that we can have with God as our Father. And verse 16 just continues with that by giving us assurance of his love. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, it's continuing to talk about what the Spirit is doing in all of this. Not only is he uh, cultivating and awakening and growing our childlike affections for God as our Father, but in doing so, he he is testifying. He's bearing witness. Yes, you are God's child. Yes, God is your Father. Yes, he loves you and has adopted you. He bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. See, again, the closeness and the assurance that God wants us to have. He doesn't adopt us and then kind of leave us at arm's length. He doesn't say, okay, well, you know, yeah, you can come into my family and into my house, but, you know, you better stay in your room, you know. No, it's, yes, you are my child, now dwell with me. And I want you to always know you are my child. He doesn't, God doesn't leave us without feelings of acceptance and love. Rather, he pours his spirit into our hearts. Why? To confirm and make real our adoption. The Holy Spirit comes to us in a way that makes our relationship with God real and binding. Another verse to jot down is Romans 5.5. 5. God's love for his children has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 5.5 5 says. He makes real to us the love of our Father. And we need that, right? Because, again, when, when we sin, when, we, when we're foolish, when we forget the goodness of God and we, like a dog, return to the vomit of this world, then the Satan, the accuser, comes. And then our our own conscience condemns us. And we're like, wow, you know, you are in God's doghouse now. You know, uh, he may be having second thoughts about that whole saving you, about adopting you. No, those those are lies, right? The gospel says, no, God loves us. And the spirit will be at work in us to to bear witness to that. We are indeed children of God. Still very uh, (laughs) uh, sinful, unfortunately, still very weak, still very dependent, but we are children of God. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is at times he moves in our hearts in such a way where we just have this overwhelming sense of God's presence, of God's love in our lives. That's what this verse is talking about. He's bearing witness with us that we are loved by God, that we are children of God. What a, what a blessing to have that, that God gives us the Spirit to do this. And oftentimes, that's done in conjunction with the Word of God, right? The Holy Spirit works closely with the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit reminds us of the promises of the gospel, 
promises and truths like Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if God loved you that much that while you were his enemy, while you were a sinner, he sent Christ to die for you. How much more does he love you now as, your blood, as a blood-bought adopted child? Or 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's a great verse, 1 John 3, 1. Um, I, I learned it in the King James because it was like a song, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. That verse is saying, I can't even grasp what kind of love this is this is an other kind of love this is a holy love what manner of love is this that almighty infinite God would adopt sinful finite people like us into his family I don't even have a category for it he says what manner of love this is see the Holy Spirit will be reminding us of that kind of truth Or Hebrews 13, 5, where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or Lamentations 3, 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Or Romans 8, 39, just later in this very same chapter, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, through the word of God, the Holy Spirit assures us of God's love that we are and always will be God's children. And I pray that each of you believers will know that today and will know that in the days to come, that you are God's children, that you are loved by God. What a joy. This is to have Almighty God as our Father, right? I, again, I, you know, you, you, you try to get a handle on these truths, but you're kind of still left just amazed. <laughs> How amazing is this? That Almighty God is our Heavenly Father. To know that God loves us and that He always will. So as we're going through this passage, we've... we've We've seen closeness, we've seen assurance, and now maybe a curveball is thrown to us. The next heading is suffering. Suffering. Verse 17, the very next verse, right? And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Wow, suffering is actually evidence of our sonship (laughs) suffering is actually evidence that we are a child of God (laughs) to be united to Christ means to share in the fellowship of his sufferings Philippians 3 says it means to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel to be willing to suffer for the sake of our identity with Christ And one form of suffering, certainly, then, that Christians experience all around this world is persecution, right? And Jesus told us to expect persecution because of our identification with him. John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, 
the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, sounds a lot like adoption, doesn't it? Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So when Christians are persecuted, not that they enjoy that, but one blessing that flows out of that is it's actually assurance and that they're a child of God. It, 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 it's, it confirms and just assures in their heart, yes, I am a child of God. And not only that, but uh, what Scripture teaches is that that suffering for the sake of Christ actually increases our intimacy with Christ. There's a, there's a, a fellowship there that perhaps some of us don't even haven't even had the opportunity to experience, right? Of knowing what it's like to, to, to be persecuted because of our identity with Christ. There's an intimacy there knowing that, Jesus, you, you are a sympathetic high priest. You walked in these steps before me and in greater ways. You suffered. You were persecuted. So as Christians share in Christ's sufferings, they are increasingly aware of his presence and thereby assured of his love. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, not all suffering is is persecution, right? God also brings suffering into our lives in the forms of trials, in in the form of discipline, in order to purify us and train us up in godliness. And again, while those things won't be pleasant, we can rejoice because we know God is using them to sanctify us. Specifically, God is using them to draw us closer to Him, which is enabling us to experience the blessings of our adoption more fully. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul spoke of a particular kind of suffering that had dogged him, right? A a thorn in the flesh. And in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, wow, I actually grow closer to Christ because of of this hardship and these sufferings. And I know him in in a more intimate way. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all of us have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Right? You know, the psalmist would, would say this sometimes in Psalm 73 and other things like, why do the wicked prosper, right? Why does it seem like everything's going great for them? But then he says, then I discern their end. You know, their, their punishment is coming. Their judgment is coming. But as Christians, when, when we sin, we're met with God's discipline. But that's done in love. 
like I said earlier, to keep us from going down that path, to point us back to the right path, to grow us in our godliness, and it's actually a sign that we are his children, right? Good fathers and mothers discipline their kids. (laughs) And so that's what Hebrews 12 is saying. Verse 10, talking about human fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, God the Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May God give us teachable hearts, right, to learn from God's discipline, from his loving fatherly discipline. So suffering is painful, but it is temporary. And that's where this passage goes. Paul says here in verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time, I'm in Romans 8, 18, right? He's talked about, yes, we're heirs, co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God, provided we suffer with him. But the sufferings of this present time, they pale in comparison to the glory of our inheritance that we will receive when Christ returns. And that leads me to our Final heading, I kind of skipped over it in verse 17 because I wanted to end on a high note. Our final heading is one of inheritance, right? When we think about being adopted in God's family, that's a huge blessing, a huge aspect of that is now we have full rights. Now we are sons who will receive the inheritance. Jesus is the one true son of God. He is the one, he is the faithful one, he is the obedient son, he is the one to whom the inheritance belongs, but in his amazing grace, he shares that inheritance with us. So when we're united to Christ, we become co-heirs with Christ, and we, we, we get to share in his inheritance. Again, it's like we're credited with his obedience, <laughs> and we receive the blessings that, that he deserves, When God adopts us, he legally grants us the rights of sonship. We are legally made a child of God with full rights. Again, that's why the scripture uses the term son of God. We who are adopted by God experience some of these blessings of inheritance now. Of being his children now. But many of those blessings, and when we think about inheritance, our minds naturally go to future, right? Most of those blessings or many of those blessings we could say will be experienced fully when Christ returns in the future. We have an inheritance awaiting us. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is that inheritance? Well, this inheritance includes resurrection in perfect bodies with fully sanctified hearts free from sin. Again, I direct you back to the First John 3 passage. I, I quoted verse 1 earlier, right? What manner of, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Verse 2 of First John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears... Right When Christ returns, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's the resurrection we have to look forward to. Perfect 
glorified bodies with fully sanctified hearts. No more sin, no more weakness. And Romans 8, the passage we're in, talks about that, doesn't it? Down in verse 23, right? It talks about how creation is longing for its redemption. It's groaning, waiting for Christ's return when they can be relieved from the curse of sin. Verse 23, and not only the creation... But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. <laughs> our resurrection is going to kick off the renewal of all of creation as we get to reign with Christ over the new heavens and the new earth. And so the pinnacle of our Yes, we can talk about resurrection and praise God for that. We can talk about fully sanctified uh, hearts. Praise God for that. New heavens, new earth. But the pinnacle of our inheritance is what? It's God himself, right? We talked about that in Joshua, in our study through Joshua recently. And this passage says it as well. Look back at verse 17. Romans 8 verse 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. That's our inheritance. He's our inheritance. We will be in the very presence of God. We'll be able to commune with God and worship God with perfect bodies, perfect faculties, perfect hearts. We'll be able to enjoy Him. No more distractions, no more tainted motives. We'll enjoy Him perfectly in His glory. And we'll be with him forever. God himself is our inheritance. With our fully redeemed and glorified bodies, we'll be able to enjoy God without any hint of idolatry. Romans 5.2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's our inheritance, the glory of God getting to be in his presence. And so that's why you see there's an already not yet aspect to the Christian life. There's an already not yet aspect to our inheritance and even our adoption. Because verse 23 of Romans 8 says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. It's like, well, we've already been adopted, but we'll experience the fullness of that adoption when Christ returns and we're made like Christ. But there's an already, not yet. We've talked about the not yet, but again, we have the first fruits. We have the down payment. We are already reconciled to God. We already have God as our Father. And that relationship is real. We've been brought near. We've been brought all the way into His family. We sit at His table. We can commune with Him. We have His Spirit living within us. And so we have, as we await Christ's return, we have the joy of living out that relationship now, loved ones. Let us live with God as our Father. How often do you think about God being your Father? How often do you relate to God as your Father? Or do you still slip into that mindset of God just being this taskmaster or God just being this aloof, uh, you know, deity that, that isn't very involved in your life no God is our loving sovereign all wise father who cares about us deeply and is intricately involved in our lives 
Think of the picture of Jesus welcoming the little children to come into his presence. Remember the disciples tried to keep them away and Jesus said, no, no, let them come. Let them come. Likewise, our Heavenly Father does that every day. Come, come, rest in me. Come, spend time with me. He scoops us up, draws us close because we are his dearly loved child. So, loved ones, let us run to the Father, right? Let us commune with him. Let us pray to him as Father, pouring out our hearts to him in childlike faith. Let us trust him as our sovereign and wise and loving Father. He knows best. Let us seek to to grow and imitate him like Ephesians 5 says. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Let us respect him, submit to his discipline, have humble, teachable hearts, repenting and growing. Again, like I began the sermon, I, I end it this way. One of the most precious truths of your identity as a Christian is that you are a beloved child of God. So may, the, may you always remember that. And may the Spirit bring it to your mind. That I am a child of God. I'm adopt, an adopted son of God with full privileges. God loves me. He chose to adopt me. Not because of anything good in me, but by his grace and for his glory. He chose to adopt me. God loves me. He is my heavenly father. He is sovereignly working all things together for my eternal good and for his glory. And so let us live out that identity this week by God's grace. When I'm tempted to sin, I need to remember that I belong to the family of God. When I have sinned, I need to remember that God loves me and has forgiven me in Christ. When I'm afraid or anxious, I cry out to my Heavenly Father who will supply all that I need for life and godliness. When the sufferings of this life leave me weary and despairing, I remember that God has an inheritance for me and that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When the world hates me, when friends don't understand me, when even the church disappoints me, I run to my heavenly Father. When I feel the pull of the world and uh, trying to get me to love the things of this world, By God's grace, I put my hope in in Christ. I remember that I have a glorious inheritance awaiting me. I remember all the blessings that I already get to enjoy of that inheritance. You see how we need to live out this identity, be rehearsing this. Never forget, Christian, that God has adopted you into his family. You are and forever will be a dearly loved child of God. And like I said, that is not true of us by nature. And so if there's any here today who have never bowed the knee to Christ, don't think that just because of your upbringing or just the fact that you're a human, that you're a child of God. You only become a child of God through faith in Christ. And so I urge you to turn from your sins and by faith embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then God Almighty will forgive you and he will adopt you and be your father forever. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we do stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of your love. 
We stand in awe of your generosity. We stand in awe of your patience and your grace. And just what a loving, intimate God you are. What a personal God you are. We praise you for your power in rescuing us from Satan's domain. We thank you for your promises that you are faithful to all of them. Please help us um, remember who we are in Christ. And we thank you that even that you've not left to us to do in our own strength. We thank you for indwelling us by your Spirit. Thank you, Spirit, for uniting us to Christ and help us to walk in the Spirit. And Lord, how we need your Spirit to remind us of these truths, to, to cultivate our affections for you. Forgive us, Father, for uh, how prone we are to stay away from you, how prone we are to misjudge you, how prone we are to assume you are like us, assume you are, are as impatient as we are with our own kids, or assume that you hold us at a distance as we often do others who have wronged us. Father, you are not like that. Help us to, to know you as you've revealed yourself in your word and, and through your son, Jesus Christ. May we enjoy and live out our adoption this week, and may you be pleased to draw many more into your family uh, today and in the coming weeks, Lord, through, through the ministry of your word and through our, our uh, um, own mouths as well, taking this good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? We'll sing another song of praise.